Hey everyone, welcome to episode 171 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest, uh, the artifactiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. Caught me, I, I went by memory, but I, you know, caught myself halfway through that sentence, so thank you for that. I tricked you. Yes. Yeah, I got finally tricked you up. Uh, we are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, Lee is editing my notes doc out from under me as we speak. Oh, well, well, don't cheat ahead, but I edited more okay. down the line. <laughs> well, I didn't memorize much other than the intro, so probably I will not get too tripped up by it. Oh, you'll you'll know when it comes. Okay, great. How's it going? Uh, you know, I had a, a long day today, so... I'm sorry. I'm mostly just excited to be home and start talking about magic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have not... I've played a bunch of Magic over the past several days, but I haven't done a ton of talking about it. Also, if you hear some rumbling, my dad is watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2 downstairs right now. So hopefully this this new mic that I'm using to record shouldn't pick up too much of it. Fortunately, I swapped out the Yeti for a dynamic mic, but... I can't hear it, but I hope your dad enjoys the film. Oh yeah, he loves those movies. Has he seen it before? Yes, yes. He just wanted a he wanted a goofy movie to turn his brain off a little bit and just enjoy it tonight. So I'll that's watch. the one with uh that's the one with Brandy as the main song, I believe. Yes, could be wrong. Yes, no, it is. It's a good one. I didn't like it as much as the first one, but no, it's not as good. I think the soundtrack's better though. Yeah, the soundtrack is great, but the first one like was such a surprise, like that it kind of like set its all, set all its own rules and stuff, and then the second one kind of like didn't really have anywhere super new to go i felt like anyways this is a magic podcast yeah the magic of film (laughs) the magic of film (laughs) (laughs) no what do you want to talk about today you know we were gonna talk about some legacy i didn't end up playing any legacy between the last podcast and this one but i'm not commentating the legacy tournament this weekend so it wasn't really my responsibility i did not play very much Legacy. I ended up watching way more She-Ra than I did Engaging with Magic mm-hmm. the past weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but which is a good show, by the way. I, I know you've already seen it, but listeners, it's a great. Oh yeah, She-Ra is fantastic. Yes, I mean this is just a a tour of all the media we've been enjoying lately. Um, yes, no. But I, I I watched several games of Legacy, and I like co-piloted a couple games. Mm-hmm. But my legacy exposure will be ongoing throughout this week, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So most of what I've been doing, I've been playing a lot of Kaladesh Limited, actually. We're not going to talk about that too much today. But, you know, and this episode is going to come out too late for me to recommend Kaladesh Limited to people. Because apparently, best of three Kaladesh Remastered Draft is going away in two days. I'm recording this on Tuesday night. Uh... Which is a bummer because my process of enjoying this format was I tried to make myself play some ranked to see if, you know, if it's fun to play, maybe I'll just make Mythic and Limited this season. And I just had an atrocious time, like something about not being able to sideboard in a format that has a bunch of like really good and important sideboard cards. And also the like hand fixing algorithm, just making every single game just a curve out game and nothing else when this format actually has way more interesting stuff that you can be doing rather than curving out or just responding to your opponent's curve out on every single turn of the game. 
Uh, so I really didn't enjoy best of one, but then I started playing best of three and started having a really good time. This is a significantly better limited format than Kaladesh or Ether Revolt. Yeah, surprised me. So I've I've only done the one draft, but I like that you called out the hand algorithm in best of one because I think it's something people don't think about a lot. Mm-hmm. But I notice it every time I start playing a best of one game. <laughs> yeah. it, it's just the games are just so different. They play out so differently. It's a lot less enjoyable. Yeah, and and it's just kind of a different format, particularly in this limited format, like. In the best of three games, I'm spending a lot of time like holding up mana, playing around stuff, thinking about what my opponent's plays mean they could have in their hand. Uh, in the best of one games that I played, it was just going like two, three, four pump spell, and I didn't really enjoy that. Did you manage to O2 your your three long tusk cub draft? I one twoed my three long tusk cub draft. Okay, okay. <laughs> Better uh, than advertised. Yeah, that was it, it, things did not go great, but I mean. It, it was like kind of a medium aggro deck that just had three long tusk cubs in it. So if I didn't start with long tusk cub, my deck wasn't very good. And I had bad stuff like Renegade Rallier and Herald of the Fair, which just gives a three two. It's a three mana three two that just gives one of your guys plus one plus one until end of turn. Like multiple cards that were only good if I already had a turn two long tusk cub that I untapped with. So, it, you know, not the most surprising finish for that deck. But I have rattled off a string of three O's drafting more mid rangey sort of artifacty Kaladesh decks. Like it feels like this is the way that these cards were like meant to be played in a limited format. And they didn't super get a chance to the first time around. So I- I've really been having a lot of fun with this. Yeah. I think Kaladesh and Aether Revolt had a problem where there was a bunch of chafe in the set mm-hmm. that just kind of like weighed down all this stuff. Yeah. Because sometimes you did get to play those drafts where, you know, you picked up some prophetic prisms and you threw all the various parts together and you, like, were kind of doing it. Mm-hmm. Because you could make all the various, like, bad energy cards and the bad plus one kind of cards kind of, like, work together. Yeah. But when, like, with Kalash Remastered, you just take out all of the cards that don't fit really well mm-hmm. and you just kind of boil it down to their pure essence. It's a lot more cohesive to draft. Yeah. Yeah. And I drafted decks multiple times like a lot of times it's been you know here's my armor craft judge deck and i have two armor craft judges and then i you know uh malfist uh what's the black one three and a black uh three one that has fabricate one and it has menace yeah just malfist squad is the name of that card but but you know like it's a relatively unassuming common that just has a set mechanic on it uh, it was pretty good in the original format, but it's like a really powerful, like cohesion card in this format where, you know, plus one plus one counters are a main synergy. Having an artifact in play is a, and especially, especially an artifact creature is a main thing that the red black aggressive decks are really into and then getting that three one menace body. So, you know, like you're using all of the parts of the buffalo and I found that with a lot of different commons in the set, there are decks that they are fine in and then decks that they are really really good in and you know that's the type of limited format that i I think generally is the better type of limited format and they they also removed some of the cards that were like kind of miserable to play against like i know bastion inventor which is the 4-4 improvised hexproof that's Mm, on the set yeah 
uh, Aether Squall Leviathan, the one that gives you a ton of energy every turn and then bounces everything right. except for itself. <laughs> That's not in the set. And there's no Aether Windbasker either, which is kind of like the energy greater of Behemoth. Right. Yeah, the only really miserable ones that are left are like Ridgescale Tusker, uh, yeah. which is just like way too much mana worth of stuff for what you pay. Uh, and honestly, like that's the only one that's come down. And I've just been like, oh my god, why? I mean, sometimes your opponent plays like Rooter's Gear Hulk or whatever, but yeah, I accept that they had to put those in for constructed purposes, right? I mean, I right. Some of the mythics are going to be unbeatable, but that's just how magic kind of has to be, I guess. Yeah, like they they put cards in to sell for people to play with, yes. so I can't begrudge it too much when it happens in limited, right? At mythic. I mythic. Yes, yes. The fact that we don't have Renegade Freighter in the format, the mythic common, is uh, pretty nice. For those who did not play original Kaladesh Limited, so Renegade Freighter is a three-mana vehicle. It's a 4-3 and has crew one, and whenever it attacks, it gets plus one, plus one. Uh, does that have trample? No. No, no trample. Uh, but it was the best common in four colors, right? Oh, no, it does gain trample. That's right. Oh. It gets trample when it attacks. It is, it is crew two, though. I just double checked okay. that as well. Yeah, crew two. So you can't crew it with just a servo, but you can crew it with pretty much anything else. And yeah. uh, it was. You took it first out of any pack that didn't have a good rare in it, basically. Because it was colorless. I wouldn't every deck, so you might as well. Yep. It's like one of the best commons in the entire set, if not the best common. Right. And, and you just would lose to it all the time on turn three. Yeah, and there's just not that many ways to deal with vehicles in Kaladesh Limited, or artifacts in general. Like, there are some ways, but they're usually, like, not very good. Yeah. Like, Ruinous Gremlin. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was an attempt to, like, make the artifacts more impactful and playable, so they don't just, like, die to a free effect. Like a, you know, you can play Fragmentize and trade one for one with an artifact, but, you know, like, in, you don't want to have a three mana 2-2 two -two that shatters when it comes into play. Because like that that's a real feel bad if you played a three mana artifact creature and have it get killed by that. Like I'm trying to do the thing that you told me to do with this set. So yeah, that that brings me to historic where I'm playing these cool new artifact cards they just released, and everyone just has a braid in their deck, which is just shatter, <laughs> just shatter. This is a taste of magic standards, like like standard history you know we had all these cool artifacts to play and a braid was the best removal spell in standard the whole time we had all those artifacts to play so you just couldn't play any of the cool ones ever nope, not allowed it has to cost two or less so only bomat career and heart of kieran yep pretty much it maybe sky sovereign sometimes yeah but only against the non-abraid decks you board it in yeah have you have you played any historic? Yeah, I played a fair bit. So I played some of the lists that you had posted. I, we're talking about historic <laughs> now, by the way, just so everybody knows. Today we're talking okay, about cool. historic with Kaladesh, and going to talk about the mocks some because watch that it was fun, and and some interesting stuff going along with that. But first, definitely want to talk about the impact of Kaladesh on historic now that we've gotten a chance to play with some of the cards. So. Most of what I have played in New Historic, I played some of the lists that you posted, which I'll let you talk about sort of the artifacty things that we can do now. 
And then I also played a bunch of mono red, and that, that's most of my matches that I played. So two kind of diametrically opposed lists, but it, it helped me get a feel for what's going on and what's good in this format right now. Yeah, and I, I think mono red specifically is like so good now. I, I think it's the best deck. Um, I wouldn't surprise me at all. Or close to it, at least, yeah. Bomar Courier is just such a good card. Light years ahead of the other one drops that you can play in this format and it, it it just is an unbelievable addition to that the one drops are what defines an aggro deck and when you upgrade from just like barely playable sometimes has two power for one mana to bowmat courier like absolutely premier aggressive one drop one of the best things they printed since goblin guide like it's it's a big upgrade and it's like good in a different way than goblin guide is mm -hmm. but it's still a way that like is very relevant and we, I think we talked about Bowman Courier last episode because we both love that card. Yes. But it is just a head and shoulders above the rest of its curve in like every color. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> There's nothing that I like to see less when I'm playing like a combo-y deck or a controlling deck than just turn one Bowman Courier. Attack you. Then you haven't don't have a land in play and they've got a card out of Bowman Courier <laughs> and you know you're not going to be able to deal with it for like three turns. Right. And you just wonder if this is how it all ends. The main saving grace now is the existence of Fatal Push, which is a lot better than Blood Chief's Thirst, I have found. And, and we can definitely talk about that in sort of the individual card section of our discussion. Yes, yeah, so sure. But talk to me about Monored. Like, what kind of lists have you been playing or seeing? So I started with the Crokies list because that is what everybody was playing. Most of the list is fine because, like... It's just, like, very clear what cards you're supposed to have in your mono-red deck. Like, you obviously have to start with Bomat Couriers, and then you need to put another one-drop in there. Probably Soulscar Mage is kind of the best that you can do. Uh, Bone Crusher Giant is pretty non-negotiable. I think that it is an open question whether you actually want to have a Burning Tree Emissary in your deck. It's, like, pretty medium in some matchups, but... Some of the stars that you can get with it, you can go like one drop into Burning Tree Emissary and then two one drops because you can cast Bomat Courier off of the green mana. So that is true. <laughs> sometimes it's ridiculous, but it often doesn't make a lot of sense in a non Ember Cleave deck because that one two two body. Like, sometimes you don't have anything to cast off of it, and then the card is, like, pretty atrocious, and sometimes you draw it later, and it's very, very bad. Whereas, like, you can play a lot of cards in the red deck that are, like, fine to draw later. Like, you can play Earthshaker Kenra over it, and then if you draw Earthshaker Kenra on turn 5, like, that's fine. It's a 2-power haste creature. So, uh, I'm not sure that that is the 2-drop that you should be playing. Uh, my main issue with the Crokies list, besides the one main deck, Grafdigger's Cage, which obviously... <laughs> I mean, Grafdigger's Cage is one of the best cards in Historic, but don't put it main deck in your mono-red deck. Like, that's nonsense. Um, my main issue with the Crokies list is that people keep playing it without modifying the sideboard at all. And the sideboard, like, fundamentally... It's a, you know, it's a draft one of a list. And the sideboard is like a couple of graft diggers cages and then like 12 removal spells, which is not a sideboard. Uh, if you're going to sideboard a bunch of removal spells in in the mirror, 
your deck no longer makes any sense. What you need to do is do what we used to do in those mirrors and go bigger. And so if you're going to sideboard in a bunch of removal spells, bring in some fours and maybe a land like Hazarets or Chandra's or Glorybringers or Experimental Frenzies. If you want to win the mirror, we know how to do it. We've done it a bunch of times. And I think it's appropriate to adjust your sideboard for that because uh, your main deck is really good against almost everybody. Have you seen... I, I saw a historic list that was not bone crusher giant burning tree emissary which is most of the ones i've seen mm -hmm. uh it was wizards i think it was i pulled it up it was posted by uh kowalski oh cool no i haven't seen this list it's it's one that i thought about like a while ago but i did not put it together this time yeah it's more of a get hazard online deck mm -hmm. i would say does that have magmatic channeler it does not have magmatic channeler okay. but it has uh, Urshaker Kenra, Vaishina Pyromancer, Robber of the Rich, Soulscar Mage, Get to Lava Runner, and then Wizard's Lightning. Mm -hmm. So you're just trying to like get all your stuff on the board so you can have Hazard attack the turn you play it. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if Channeler would work very well in this type of deck. It seems a little too slow. Yeah, that's that's probably true. I, I think you want the haste guys more than anything else. I like that concept. I know that, you know... Chandra is the new card, and Chandra is very good. But every time that I played a four, I was just like, geez, either I'm playing a Chandra, and I'm like, wow, Hazard would be better here. Or I'm playing a Hazard, and I'm like, good lord, this is so much better than Chandra would be here. Well, yeah, Hazard kills them. Chandra's usually better in post-board games. Mm -hmm. But Chandra, or I'm sorry, Hazard, she's just, she kills them so quickly. Yeah. And sometimes you play those games against Modern Red where you finally have stabilized at like four life. Your opponent plays a Hazard, you chump it, and then you're at four. So Hazard just activates twice and kills you. Yep. <laughs> no, Hazard has just been really, really impressive to me. And it is, of course, by far the better card in the mirrors. So, and I mean, Chandra is pretty acceptable in the mirrors. I've boarded in Chandra's in Mono Red mirrors, but Hazard is just unbeatable if you don't have a Soulscar Mage in play. So. Yeah, they do like different things, right? Chandra is the card advantage mm -hmm. thing in the mirror. Like when you use your removal spells on other right. bo board pieces, you get to play Chandra and then like keep going ahead. Whereas Hazard is just impossible to remove and kills them. Yes. Um, and this is no longer a Field of the Dead format. You know, a while ago it was, oh man, Hazard is so much worse than Experimental Frenzy. But that's because it was a Field of the Dead format and you had to find your burn spells to finish them off after they started making zombies uh that's not that's not what this is about anymore people run out of blockers and then hazard kills them the one thing that mono red is bad against is uro you don't have good tools against it none of your threats line up once the uro is in play because generally the mono red decks are not embercleave decks right now so it's really really hard to get through and then they just like out life gain past year i don't think you're supposed to be playing shocks it's just too small ball and only good in the actual mirror like it's redundant with stomp and it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me to be playing shocks i'd rather play a couple extra one drops and then maybe another four or something and i think that your plan versus uro might actually be that you have to bring in Graftigger's cages against even like the sultai type decks because if they fatal push you and then Uro and then cast another removal spell and then bring back Uro, none of your draws beat that. 
Yeah, and that's like not that hard for them to assemble either. That's just three cards. It's just their whole deck, like. Yeah. That's why the main deck Gravedigger's Cage was in Crookie's list. You gotta live in fear of Uro. Yeah, but you draw it. There's several matchups that it doesn't have text in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, Mono Red is probably, like, is that the best deck right now in Historic? It's just had a shot in the arm of just super powerful cards. Yeah. Uh, I cannot overstate the value of Bomat Courier to the archetype. Just think of it as a shock that draws you three cards, and you'll understand why it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Also, sometimes it just like puts your opponent into this like existential panic where they like misevaluate your threats, and like the cards under it start growing, and they just like that's the thing that they need to solve. And and I I don't know. It does a lot for one mana. It does. Doesn't turn on an unlicensed disintegration very often anymore, but. You know, we can't 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 have everything. I, those Mardu vehicle decks that people are playing have not impressed me at all. See, I actually I've only played against a couple, but they looked like something was there. And really, yeah, I maybe it was just that they had good draws against me or something like that. But they like the addition of Thoughtseize and Bonecrusher Giant to that type of like that's the perfect type of deck for both of those cards just like a an aggressively slanted mid-range deck with several individual heavy hitting cards like those cards are excellent in the deck and you don't have gideon ally of zendikar anymore so that's not quite what you're doing but gideon blackblade is like pretty acceptable in it and very good with heart of kieran um i don't know there's something there if you had Thraben Inspector, I'd be super on board. As is, like, you're really light on ones that make sense to play. So, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's why I don't think the deck is that strong. Mm -hmm. Like, whenever I thought of Marty Vehicles, I, my mind always jumped to Thraben Inspector. Yeah. That's just, like... It's the best the card best in the deck. Card. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it was just the thing that turned on your... Can't remember the name of the one drop. Toolcraft Exemplar? Which, yeah, it, maybe that's why the deck has looked good to me. Like, my opponent just had Toolcraft Exemplar and won every single game. And always followed up with an artifact? Yeah. Because there's not that many good artifacts other than, like, Bowmat Courier and the plane. Yeah, Bowmat Courier, Heart of Kirin, and I think you are forced to run some number of Scrap Heap Scroungers because it turns on Toolcraft and Heart of Kirin, even though it's yeah. not quite good enough anymore, I think. Yeah, I agree with this assessment. Like, it's it's definitely a deck I would want to look at. And maybe there's, like, some food cards I'm not thinking of. I think those are mostly in green. Yeah, I'm struggling to think of playable ones in Mardu colors. I mean, Cat Oven. <laughs> Whoa! I don't know, Cat does crew. Not, not hard of The care. best one, yeah. It doesn't crew Smuggler's Listen, Copter. It, Man. Yeah, if we had Smuggler's Copter... I would be in for some cat oven Mardu vehicle. Smuggler's yeah, that, that actually sounds like pretty good, yeah, to be honest. Right? Tur turn one exemplar, turn two oven cat, attack <laughs> for three. <laughs> you can even, like... Well, I guess you can't really crew and then block with the cat. That doesn't super work. But, you know, you could probably you could do some shenanigans there. It'd be very I, Yeah, I'm sure you can... I'm, I'm, I'm positive if that were an interaction we'd be worried about. I would just forget my opponent had a cat in the graveyard. 
attack and then smuggler's copter would block my creature <laughs> and they would get to loot i am you know smuggler's copter is probably too good for historic and it's probably correct that they didn't reprint it but i am bummed that we still just are not gonna ever have a format where i can crew smuggler's copter with stitcher supplier yeah that that, that just kind of sucks i guess yep. <laughs> all i want you have to you have to dip into modern for that sort of unbridled power (laughs) right and it wasn't even good enough in pioneer when it was legal so you know i I mean the problem with smuggler software in pioneer was that it made the good decks like really good right so you couldn't really afford to be smugglers coptering any like synergy decks yeah yeah and i think that's the way it would be in historic as well it would just be in gruel, in mono red, in it would make a mono black aggro deck like decent. Yeah, I'm sure, sure you'd see it in mono white too, mm-hmm. especially with the uh, the cleric that makes count but gets plus one plus one counters to things. It seems like really good there. Ooh, yeah, that's sick. Aw, but yeah, it probably would be a net negative for the format. I, I'm I'm pretty okay with it not being in there. So yeah, that's that's mono red. You know, the big deck that was getting hyped going into this was is Marvel going to be playable slash too good for the format? And I think I can pretty safely confirm that Marvel is not too good. Uh and I'm not confident that it's like good or playable at all. I I think Marvel is not good. Yeah, I I, I think that's I agree. Where with I come you. down on it. Because I I played against Marvel several times and I have lost to it. Every time they go turn four Ulamog, I lose. Mm-hmm. Every time they don't, yep. it feels like I just win. Yep. Because and, and this is the same. This is also true for like a regular team or energy mid range without Marvel. But the team or energy cards themselves, just like Rogue Refiner, Warlord Choice, etc., mm-hmm. they're just not good in historic. They're just underpowered. Right. It's not the way that it was in that standard. Like, so the reason that that Marvel deck in standard was so good, we didn't, I don't think we realized at the time why it was so good, but, you know, the the scary thing was, hey, they can play turn four Marvel and then they can spin and Ulamog and then the game's over. Like, this sucks. Like, let's get rid of this. This isn't fun at all. And also, you know, it's in it's like half of all these top eights and all this stuff. But then they banned Marvel, and then kind of just that deck without Marvel was the the only deck you were allowed to play in standard for the next like year. The Teamer Energy deck was the exact same thing, basically just with Glory Bringers and some Chandras instead of Marvel and Ulamog in there. It was like mostly the same pieces. So the reason that the Marvel deck was so good actually was because the core was so powerful. And Yeah, it's because your your backup was if you didn't get your Marvel stuff going, you just had like nine energy and a Whirler Virtuous and a Rogue Refiner in play. And right. That's a scenario you found yourself in all the time. Like uh, six months later playing Team or Energy. And it was good. Right. Right. Like the deck that was the Marvel's backup plan was unbeatable in that format. So that's why Marvel was so good. In this format, like you can't just play team or energy. Like that that deck's not good. And that makes Marvel kind of medium. So shout out to the person who played Soltai Energy against me <laughs> with just like Thoughtseize and a Glunceive Siphoner and a Robert Hunter. That was sweet. Yeah, that is sweet. 
It was not good. I know. But it was sweet. I know. I would love for that to be good, but we're just not there. Like, imagine going Thoughtseize into Glinsley Siphoner. I mean, imagine having a hand of Thoughtseize, Glinsley Siphoner, Rogue Refiner, and then you Thoughtseize them, and you see an Uro in their hand. Like, the game's over. You're done. Go home. Yeah, you, you, the energy cards are just too small ball. If you're going to play a Thoughtseize deck, there are better ones. Yeah. I've, namely, the one with Uros in it. Yeah. There's also a blue-black control deck that's floating around with that uses a Narset and Commit to Memory, mm-hmm. which is kind of neat. That, that existed before. Yeah, but, but now you have Torrential, also, now you have torrential yeah, Gear, torrential gear hold, which makes it a lot better. Oh, oh, because you can do it in draw step. Yes. Instant speed. Yeah, get rid of all their cards. Don't don't let them keep one. No paltry cards for you. Yeah. They are all gone. One thing that I want to try with that is and this the package may take up too many cards, but I definitely want to try a like Uro Torrential Gear Hulk discontinuity build. Does discontinuity I thought discontinuity exiles when you cast it. Oh, does, does it? it not do that? No, it probably does. It's a time walk. It has to. Yeah, yeah it, because it ends the turn while it's on the stack. So it oh, right, right, right. Okay. Well, then I don't want to do that. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Be it quite a shame if I crafted the cards and then realized that this just doesn't work. It just didn't work within the rules. I've done that before. Uh, it doesn't feel great. Yeah, it's deceptive because discontinuity definitely doesn't say exile on it, except in the reminder text. And which no one reads. They should know better. Right. Okay, cool. Well, I, I don't want to do that then. Um, but yeah, I mean, Narset, Commit to Memory, Torrential Gear Hulk is like a pretty sweet core. Definitely vulnerable to Mystical Dispute, but... I mean, luckily you still get to play Fatal Push Thoughtseize and Shark Typhoon. Right. And playing a Counterspell game is a really good way to never lose to the Marvel deck and to interact on an axis that is effective against the goblins deck and it, it, it's like a pretty fine place to be generally yeah i i actually per, like control decks on historic though it seems really weird <laughs> but i think it has to be black based especially with fatal push yeah now that you have fatal push which has been a really impressive card uh just like i tried playing the eight scales deck that Manguchi posted and every time somebody cast a fatal push, I was just like, can't win this game. So <laughs> that's how good that card is. You can even play Mindstone to or Maze Mindstone mm-hmm. to trigger a revolt in addition to Fable Passage. Ooh. I would imagine Maze Mindstone is probably better than Mindstone, but I, I'm just thinking of, I guess, Narset's double colored. I'm not sure there. But you can definitely play something in that two mana slot that turns into revolt. Sure. Yeah, there's nothing really free. You can't play, like, the map or anything like that, but Fable Passage and then something that does it incidentally is probably enough to get you fours a healthy amount of the time. Yeah, and it's not like you need fours all the time because you're playing other removal spells, Mm -hmm. but it is nice to be able to convert your Fatal Pushes that you didn't draw early game into, like, meaningful mid-game answers. Right, and and it's nice to have the flexibility in your graveyard for your Torrential Gear Hulk, too, so. Yeah. So, I, it, the, the Gear Hulk itself is a 5-6 in Fatal Push matchups, so 
<laughs> right. But that was often like in standard, that was often the critical turn is when your opponent would have six mana and they'd pass and you'd be like, well, if they have the gear Hulk, because it also gets a removal spell, like I'm going to lose this game if they have it. So I just kind of have to jam and hope they don't have it. And then obviously they pass with six mana up. So they kill your guy, block a guy, and then the game is over. Torrential Gear Hooks is very powerful. Yep. Why don't you talk about kind of the artifact decks in general that exist now? And I, I don't know how much time you want to spend on the Paradox Engine deck or decks. Um, Honestly, not too much. Mm -hmm. they're, they're all pretty much the same. There are Paradox Engine Mystic Forge decks, mm -hmm. which is just kind of, that's the combo, right? You play Mana Rocks like Mindstone and Hedron Archive, and Guardian Idol, I think is the other one, the name of the other one, mm -hmm. the one that becomes a creature. Yeah. Those give you mana when you untap with Paradox Engine, which is whenever you cast a spell, untap all your online permanents, mm -hmm. and then your Mystic Forge digs you to... You know, your digs you through your deck as you're untapping all your mana rocks and you're playing artifacts off the top of your library. And right. once you get multiple Mystic Forges, you can control the top card of your library really easily with Paradox Engine. So you just like keep going until you eventually hit um, Aetherflux Reservoir is what I've been killing with. Cast a couple spells after that, and then you kill them. I also really like that if you untap with Emery and then you have Paradox Engine, like that usually just wins because you get to keep Emerying your like uh, your Chromatic Sphere. Yeah, that was like the best thing because I initially started off with the all colorless one that Will posted, which was a Karn the Great Creator deck, which side note, Karn the Great Creator, <laughs> this deck can never be popular because the mirrors just don't work. Right. Because <laughs> Karn the Great Creator shuts off everything. It, it I, I played your deck a little bit, had Karn the Great Creator cast against me in two matches and it was miserable. Yep. It's not great. <laughs> Yeah, and the only answer to that card is, like, Blast Zone. Yeah, and that's just not doable. Like, you're dead by then. <laughs> and and, the, and that colorless one, I think, was a little too slow as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Will then played a mono-white version with Glass Casket as, like, a way to buy time. Because it was a little too slow. Until you could do your combo thing. Which was fine. I actually didn't play that version. I had started playing a Witching Well Glintness Crane version mm -hmm. to try and like find your important pieces faster. Uh, and then Will floated the idea of Emery, and that card is actually just incredible in that style of deck because uh, once you're already playing like Chromatic Sphere and cards that are relatively cheap, like Aether Spellbomb, that cycle, mm -hmm. you can just, with a Paradox Engine and Emery, every time you cast Chromatic Sphere, you can cycle it and then play it again with Emery because it untaps with Paradox Engine. Yeah. And so you just draw your deck and kill them. I, I think that is the best version of the deck, but it is still probably not a very good deck. Yeah, I I felt heavily disadvantaged against both Goblins and Mono Red, and yeah. that's not a not a good place to be right now. And into the sideboard, I just couldn't come up with one that was like good <laughs> at all. <laughs> like you have Psy. Which is a cool card, but doesn't really work with Mystic Forge that well. Uh, and it's just a little awkward, like, boarding with this deck when you have so many moving parts. Yeah. Uh, and your cards aren't super powerful. Right. I I, I found that Psy was a very powerful sideboard card uh, against the, like, normal aggressive decks. But there just wasn't a good plan versus Goblins. I actually had the opposite problem. I didn't have the opposite problem, because I still lost to Goblins all the time. But... <laughs> 
like against the normal aggressive decks i was boarding in sigh never drew them and still was winning interesting because i even had one game where my opponent went uh turn two burning tree emissary burning tree emissary two drop and i was like are you kidding me this is absurd i hate why did they unsuspend this card like etc etc and then i just like won three turns later (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like okay (laughs) that's kind of neat so like the deck is powerful if your opponent's not really interacting with you or if they're interacting way too much and not putting a clock on you Mm -hmm. you're gonna win the problem is the best decks in historic are just too fast or put a squeeze on you too hard like the the uro decks just don't let you have purchase generally Mm -hmm. yeah though the the deck is actually good against uro it it is but if they have the right interaction it gets pretty miserable uh but they have to have you know not they have to have a lot less removal than they probably are supposed to be running right now and a lot more thought seizes and then counter spells are you know that combo of like an uro in play and a counter in hand is not beatable and it's I, I wouldn't suggest anyone play the deck but i personally don't regret crafting it and i still play it because mm-hmm. it's just a really fun deck it is really fun for sure i and i love beating up gruel that you know go double burning tree emissary <laughs> on me yeah i mean the experience of untapping emery with paradox engine is one that is not to be missed no it's it's nice um one thing that i have been looking at and trying to figure out and i haven't put it together because i'm just a couple wild cards short i think i have just enough now after my last kaladesh draft uh but i want to work on a god pharaoh's gift deck that also that self mills some but has uro as like a secondary payoff for self milling and god pharaoh's gifts like one thing that i really want to try is the uh landfall minotaur guy that gives you an extra combat (laughs) sure uh because i think it's like pretty easy to get it into play and then get another combat get another god pharaoh's gift trigger and you know probably kill them from there uh you don't get another main phase after that guy attacks right yeah you don't you just keep combating right so you can go if you're playing solemn simulacrum you can bring one back with this with your gate to the afterlife or your god pharaoh's gift and get another combat bring something else back yes yeah and also if you have an uro in play which is you know like if you have an uro in play you're probably winning anyways but sure like this is a really cute combo if you have an uro in play and then you gift out a morag you can just like put a land into play each time you attack with the uro to get another combat i have to assume if you're playing gate to the afterlife that means you're playing a lot of creatures Mm -hmm. and your curve generally wants to be pretty low especially because minister of inquiries and bowmaker you're kind of both auto includes in my mind if you're already playing blue and red mm-hmm. uh and then you like just don't really have that many lands and it's true like access to yeah it, it's true but you also like you your gate to the afterlives are often discarding creatures and like keeping lands in hand and yeah your mm-hmm. arrows are probably not great in this deck but since you are self-milling yourself they do become that much better just because they're like kind of free like you didn't have to do the front side at all and stuff so i don't know it's an experiment that i'm going to try part of me wants to do have a package of like 
Hope of Giripper, Emery, Gilded Goose in there as well. Um, <laughs> but I want to goof around with it some and, and see what's up. I think the Morag part of it is like pretty important so that you can have games where you just like really go over the top and kill them with the God Pharaoh's gift the turn that you start doing it. I I would actually suspect that the Morag part is more important than the Euro part. I think so, yeah. Like I, the deck you're describing, Uro doesn't sound like it's a good part of it. That's possibly sure. I don't think it's a good part of the plan A, but I think it's an important part of when they are screwing you up, you can just Uro very easily and get them that way. How are they screwing you up that doesn't interact with your graveyard? A braid, um, you know, I don't know, mostly a braid. <laughs> like a braids and thought seizes and counter spells and stuff, just like generic answers to the things you're doing and Uro's very good against all of those i i'm, I'm down to brew i i love playing gates of the afterlife decks one of my favorite cards in the past like a few years like i just think gates of the afterlife is really good in an Uro deck so it is it is but i i don't know exactly how this deck is going to work it's just something that's been like sizzling in the back of my mind and i would like to try to make it happen uh, but not not totally sure what the composition is going to be exactly it's on low heat. It's simmering. Yeah. I I don't know. There's something there, and probably you want to wait to play it until like the Etherworks Marvel decks have been pushed out of the format by not being that good, because that matchup is probably not great. I, I I'm so I'm not disappointed, but I'm sad that people don't realize that that deck is not good. Because it is not a deck I thought would be good, mm -hmm. because I thought energy was just too like look at pioneer right energy is not playable in that format and this format is not it's not clear to me that this format is less powerful than pioneer despite being much it, smaller in my eyes it is comparable you have all of the new sets which are by far the most powerful stuff and then you add muxus and phyrexian tower to it and like the stuff that's happening in this format is really strong which probably dashes all of my God Pharaoh's Gift dreams, but... Well, God Pharaoh's Gift is also a strong card that just did top 8 the last WotC event, so... True. Don't give up on your dreams yet, Chris. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. I'll waste a bunch of wild cards. Although mostly on... A lot of the wild cards that I would be spending are on fast lands and those colors and stuff that I would be spending them on at some point anyways, so... Yeah, I, I never regret crafting lands. Yeah. Well, crafting lands specifically for historic is a little bit iffy, but... Eh. I, I have faith that they'll be reprinted any day now. <laughs> what is this list of... Oh, is this a list of cards that you're sad or not in the set? Like, so there's a couple cards in the set that just didn't make it in, mm -hmm. and a, a few surprised me. Uh, mostly Madcap Experiment and Flea Wheel Cruiser were the ones that surprised me the most. Mm. Uh, Madcap Experiment is the polymorph for artifacts. Yeah. Except for you take a bunch of damage. I mean, you really need to be getting Platinum Imperium specifically with that. But Platinum Angel exists in Historic already. I guess it works. That's just such a, like... It's so much worse to get Platinum Angel than Platinum Imperium with it. Because I mean, yeah. you generally lose if they kill the Platinum Angel. That's very different from what happens with Imperion. I mean, you, you generally lose either way, right? I, that deck doesn't win. 
I mean, yeah, but like as a secondary thing that you're doing in a deck that's our, you know, just like conceptually, if you are interacting and then you have a four mana spell that puts a Platinum Imperion into play, you spent one card doing that. If they kill it, like, yeah, they got a mana advantage. Like your deck is probably bad, so you lose. But like, you didn't lose that badly on that interaction. When you Madcap Experiment into your Platinum Angel and lose 14 life, and then they kill your Platinum Angel, like, you're just dead. Sometimes actually dead. Sometimes you're at negative <laughs> right. 20. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the Shatter literally kills you. I also noticed Reverse Engineer was not in the set when I tried to add it to my sideboard. Uh, yeah, I was... One of the Paradox Engine decks. I, I saw the deck and I was like, I wonder if that draw three would be good in this deck, but it's just not in on Arena. Yeah, it's just not there. I looked for it. I, I looked for it many times it's just like i must be doing something wrong this is such an unassuming card why would it not be in the set right and it's one that like feels like it has constructed implications and possibilities such that they should have found room for it in the set yeah we, maybe we could cut tezzeret's ambition i think is what it's called that card's a common and is also a card draw spell yeah but i don't know reverse engineer come on Tezzeret's Ambition, I've found, has been a pretty important part of that limited format. So, Oh, no, it is very good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, I don't know. You can put Reverse in. Reverse Engineer is very good in, in that, would be very good in that limited format. So I don't think you could have it be a common. That would be a problem card. So, I don't know. You'd probably have but to. They're only giving both. you, like, four days to draft it, CCR. How are they going to know? <laughs> like, yeah, how are they cared that much? It doesn't even matter. It's so <laughs> disappointing. I really like this format. I'd like to play it more. Um, yeah, we also didn't get Battle at the Bridge. Fleet Wheel Cruiser is one that like always seemed like it could have a home and constructed and just was like always not what you wanted to be doing, generally. I mean, unless you're playing Vintage. Yeah, we don't have Misha's Workshop in, in Arena. I mean, not yet. Not it's yet. probably going to be in the next, next Historic <laughs> Anthology. Jumpstart 2. <laughs> historic Masters. Here's Misha's Workshop. <laughs> Good thing Walking Blister didn't make the cut. Oh, too powerful. Uh, cards that are in the set, and also, this is just a list of cards that have been very impressive to me. Uh, I know you have a question mark next to a braid there, but uh, a braid has That's been... It's not a Kaladesh card. Right, but it, it's so good right now. It's just one of the best removal spells in the format. Fatal Push has been extremely good just so much better than blood chief's thirst like you never waste a mana like you can just get stuff with it all the time when you're on the draw you get their two drop and really screw up their turn like it just makes like the winding constrictor type deck not playable because you just lose to fatal push and uh the mono red deck like having fatal push as opposed to blood chief's thirst is a big difference being able to just do it in combat or just when it makes sense to spend that mana if you are on the draw or if you want to if they don't have the thing in play yet but then they're going to cast a haste guy on their turn it's just yeah fatal push is really good <laughs> why do you have a sort of next to chandra because i feel like we've talked about most of these cards already so chandra i think is good but just right now i think that it's getting played in a lot of spots where in particular like Hazaret should just be in the slot over it yeah I, I can see that chandra's an incredible card 
but uh, most of its power comes from how versatile it is, mm-hmm. and it's usually stronger in sideboards. Yeah, and I, I think it's wonderful to bring in as part of a going big or going controlling board plan, but I'm not sure that it belongs in the main deck of these red decks. Yeah, and for the love of God, do not rely on Chandra as your card advantage engine in a control deck, which I saw two of my opponents do when I was playing Historic. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> Like, like, come on, Teferi Hero of Dominaria is right there. <laughs> right there. Yeah, there's more persistent and more powerful ways of just drawing cards, for sure. Grafdigger's Cage, even better than it was before the set came out. It's just the most important sideboard card in the format, and most decks that are not doing a thing that gets destroyed by Grafdigger's Cage should have a lot of them in their sideboard. It was even in the sideboard of my Mystic Forge deck before I, you know, realized my mistake. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of the really cool things about God Pharaoh's Gift, is that the main graveyard hate in the format is completely ineffective against it. So I I do like that. That is a thing that I think raises the, the ceiling of that sort of thing by a reasonable amount. Still hate Uro. It crushes my dreams all the time when I'm doing not Uro things and makes me feel real dumb for not doing Uro things. <laughs> yeah. So the the format is definitely getting shaken up. And most of that, honestly, is just on the back, on the wheels of Bomat Courier. It's by far the biggest addition to the format. On the wheels of Bomat Courier. Yeah, I agree. It's, what make, it's what's vaulting Modern Red up so high. Yeah, for sure. You have any other thoughts on historic? Mm, no, I I don't think the format can churn that much because I even though Kaladesh is a strong set, most of its power comes from individual cards like Bowmakery or Fatal Push, mm-hmm. as opposed to like big sweeping themes like all the artifact cards. Right, because energy is not actually good enough. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, then you wanna? Did you get to watch much of the mocks this weekend? Uh, again. Too much Shira, not enough magic. <laughs> well, I understand that. I I was there when I was watching Shira, so so I I caught snippets here and there, especially when all of the drama was going down. Yeah, but I did not watch a lot of the mocks now. So I watched a fair bit of it. Um, I really appreciated just the really clean production of the whole thing. It was very well done. I mean, like Athena just does a great job, and that should be unsurprising to anyone. Yeah, the, the production was very good, especially all the different commentators they had mm-hmm. was nice. Yeah, it was. Definitely, there were some teams that... It, it was funny that they somehow managed to get Patrick Sullivan to do commentary with not Cedric Phillips multiple times over the course of the weekend. There's like a Patrick Sullivan and Marshall Sutcliffe one, and I, that threw me for a loop. Yeah, no, it just doesn't even make sense. It's like a weird like slash fic or something like that. Like I, I, I just couldn't wrap my brain around what was happening. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was good. It was really fun to watch. Uh, vintage Cube for the first three rounds of each day. You know, it doesn't make sense to play Vintage Cube for $50,000 plus but nope. it was fun to watch. I appreciated it. Yeah, they got LSV to do commentary too, yeah. which is nice because he plays so much Vintage Cube. Having LSV and Chion in the booth for high stakes Vintage Cube commentary uh, just 
wonderful. A great experience. Vintage Cube itself, I didn't watch the games. Did you? How impressive were they? I, did. I just assumed they were. They were be. really fun. Uh, one of the players drafted Storm for like oh, that's right. his first or second time ever. And he was definitely struggling with some of his lines and just, you know, didn't have the kind of built-in understanding of how the deck worked and stuff and uh, missequenced some things. You know, LSV and Xi'an were in the booth and they were, you know, not making fun of him, certainly, uh, but making it an entertaining experience to watch. And, and it, it was good. Like, there was a lot of weird stuff going on and a lot of, like, you know, like, like MJ is an excellent cube player and he has a really high win rate in vintage cube and he went in and during his second cube draft we were watching him and just like none of his picks made sense and the deck just did not come together in any way and like you know early picks you know he was picking cards that were more niche and like less raw power and and stuff and but going in several different directions and then he kind of never picked a lane. Like at one point, it looked to me like his only real route to being a powerful deck was embracing like bad creatures. And he had Armageddon and then Ravages of War came up like a couple, several picks into pack two. And so like you could do that. You could have creatures and two Armageddons and win games that way. Um, but he just ended up putting together a blue-white deck that was just worse than oliver 2's deck of the same colors and oliver 2 was one seat to his left so uh that's when you know you made some mistakes but that just shows like how difficult it is to draft cube like what a skill testing experience it is that one of the best magic online players around who's played a ton of cube just like really struggled day of and and it was Super interesting to watch that happen because I've train wrecked many a draft in my life, and to see an excellent player do it is a part of a heartening storied community of people who really <laughs> screw up their drafts. Yeah, I honestly love that they incorporated a cube event into like high stakes magic. I don't love that it was vintage cube mm -hmm. personally, but I. Like remember the old 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 invitationals where if you won you got to get a like a card of you into the game. Yeah, that's where Bob comes from. Snapcaster Mage and so on. I don't Dark Confidant. Yeah, that's the name of Bob. Sylvan Safekeeper, Rakdos yeah, Augur Mage, Solemn Simulacra. We could name a bunch of them. I think that was all of them actually. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember which ones we <laughs> named. But anyway, like those tournaments had super weird formats added to them sometimes like played for the first time at the invitational yep. auction of the people which forced like a lot of professionals or people who were playing in the tournament because they weren't all pros to adapt on their feet really quickly and i think that era of magic is gone for the most part and it's fine but i wish that more tournaments like the mocks would incorporate like cubes that are pre-built and you could test mm -hmm. into the tournament and I, I don't want them all to be like vintage cube that was a good one that a lot of people are really familiar with it so it's a good viewing experience but it would be cool to have like you know some other random cube just introduced into a tournament i think that'd be really cool you could see how people draft it 
Yeah, and all you have to do is put it on Magic Online for a couple of weeks beforehand, and that gives the players the ability to test it and also gives the community the ability to get familiar with it before watching it. Yeah, exactly. Like, Emma just had a proliferate cube on Magic Online. Mm -hmm. Maybe have a tournament with proliferate cube, like, the month after that or whatever. I think it'd just be kind of neat. Right. I'd like to see more of it and there were, than just, you know, always standard, always pioneer, modern, whatever. There were so many tweets about that cube. Like, it was in the Magic Zeitgeist for, you know, the period of time that it was up. So that I think that's a thing that you can really capitalize on. That would be really cool. Anyway. Yeah. The rest of the tournament. <laughs> yes. Well, so, like, it, there was a lot of fun magic to watch. There was a lot of really just hot, you know, it's very high stakes and there were some really good games the finals is honestly one of the best sets of magic i've ever watched uh it was three matches every match went to three games just really tight good play from both sides and i mean two extraordinary players in, in michael jacob and logan nettles uh, and, and and it was really cool that it was two of the like really magic online focused guys in the finals and, and like they definitely both deserve to be there i i loved just tuning in and seeing logan playing at the time sultai mid-range mm -hmm. <laughs> and i'm like all right what's he playing in modern <laughs> oh of course john yeah the most <laughs> just like jabberwocky yeah. modern deck what are what are the two most jabberwocky decks you can think of probably sultai mid-range and pioneer and jund in modern <laughs> it, it's funny that there's like two things about jabberwocky and it's like whenever there's a new jabberwocky list in a format like everybody wants to go see it and like it catches people's attention because he does a really great job of tuning and modifying decks and coming up with interesting stuff but in modern he's always on just the best build of jund for that particular weekend <laughs> and he's good at it and his builds are like the best they can be but holy crap, he played against Uro, and it didn't look good. Yeah, that's the Jund experience, though, right? You play super tight, super hard after grinding all your way through the tournament, playing these really tight matches, and your opponent just plays Uro against you in the finals? How, it's just not fair. How dare you? <laughs> Sir, we had a gentleman's agreement. Oh, no. A gentleman's agreement? Is that a... Uh... Is that a smooth transition into our next subtopic of Mox discussion? It wasn't intended to be, but it can. <laughs> yeah, so I do want to talk about this for a little while. I mean, it's been discussed to death, but this is our platform to discuss things to death. Uh, so in Michael Jacob and Oliver 2's first match that they played uh, is in Modern. Michael Jacob was playing Heliod Company. And Oliver was playing an Uro Field of the Dead, you know, mid-range controller deck. And there was a sort of deal between the two where MJ comboed with Spike Feeder and Heliod, but then asked Oliver uh, if basically if they could just pretend he was at infinite life so that he didn't have to sit there and combo off on camera in front of people. And unfortunately towards the end of the match Michael Jacob had comboed off in game three and was you know they were treating the game as though he were at infinite life and then at one point Oliver just attacked him with a bunch of zombies and he died 
uh, I'm losing a lot of nuance in that summary that we'll go over as we talk about the whole thing. But obviously, given the information that people had and the analysis or lack thereof that like Twitch chat and Twitter are prone to make in the immediate, people got very, very mad at Oliver and it was not pretty. And then Oliver kind of regretted that decision and rethought and asked the head judge if he would allow him to concede retroactively and you know, if you if you want a summary of all the drama and stuff, you can just like go back a couple of days on Twitter and, and find most of it. Um, but I kind of more want to focus on like just how we got there in that situation and sort of the like ethical foundation of each decision point, which I think most of the decision points happened because nobody actually thinks about them this much in real time. Yeah, but. Uh, there's actually like really interesting implications to a lot of them that I think kind of gets lost in a, a lot of, especially gets lost in the outrage that happens immediately following. And it, it keeps getting worse, like the more people pile on too. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and that's not our plan here. I'm not, I, I don't think that we're trying to pile on at all. Oh, no, no, I meant more for towards like, toward, towards the players yeah. or in the discourse or stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I do want to like start out by saying like it is pretty out of line to like everyone like calling Oliver scum and stuff. I think there's space to be critical of a decision and and there's space to call somebody out for a decision without attacking a person individually in that way. Like there's nuance to the things that are done by the players and you probably don't understand everything that happened and to call somebody names and to just like pile on in this way. I think that it's just not a like kind or thoughtful way of approaching a situation like this. No. And from what I understand based on what Oliver was thinking at the time, because you know, it, the whole point was he was running out of time. He couldn't win in time. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I didn't watch this game. So I just had to ask. Yeah. So, from what I understand, Oliver chose to treat MJ at infinite life still, but attacked with zombie tokens as a way to emulate, like, hey, I've got my thing online. The cryptic lock he thought he had. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to win the game with zombies because it'll it'll end the game. But I essentially have the win, but it's very long. So it's like kind of a reflection of MJ's deal as well, you know? That's how I interpret it. And I, I think that is exactly what Oliver was thinking, because he, he kind of said this as much. He thought that he had, you know, cryptic lock. And so what that is kind of saying is like, I think MJ and Oliver were kind of at odds with what the deal actually was. So in, in contract law, we have this term that you're not really supposed to use anymore in actual legal practice, but it is sort of a foundational concept of the contract, which is a meeting of the minds. And you don't actually have a contract unless each party is agreeing to the same thing. And I think there is not quite a meeting of the minds in this case where Michael Jacob thought that they were agreeing to treat him as at infinite life if he countered, if he comboed off. But Oliver's interpretation of that was more like, 
we're treating this as though it's a match of paper magic and we're trying to come as close to simulating like real magic in a way that magic online can't. So sure, I'll spot you that I'll count you as at infinite life. But then if I get my counter to infinite life, which is if I lock you out of the game with a cryptic loop, then we should treat that as though it's paper magic and I can't do it with two minutes on my clock, but like we're playing a quote paper magic game. And that's just number one, clearly not the understanding that Michael Jacob or, or chat had. And number two, like the other problem is that Oliver didn't actually have a win there because you can't cryptic lock the deck out of the game in that way because it has collected company and can also just like play multiple spells, including Ranger of e Ranger Captain of Eos to get through that and then combo off in a way to kill you because you're spending, you're out of resources once you start cryptic locking to not deck yourself. Yeah, and, and to MJ's credit, I think MJ had um, a just phenomenal statement after the game mm -hmm. explaining that basically the whole scenario and that he was wrong to make some earlier tweets he did because you know it was you know, very emotional he was like upset at the time mm -hmm. and then he just said that it was wrong of him to even ask for the agreement in the first place yeah which i think is accurate i i agree yeah i don't think and, and see like this is the like i don't think anybody really gave this any significant thought part of it i think that mj asked like can can we act like i'm at infinite life both for like viewership quality and also because you know everybody wants to play magic like it's a real magic game but didn't think through the implications of that including what i think is a, a very real thing which is that you're not putting oliver into a spot where he has much agency or ability to agree or not agree when you ask him can we act like i'm at infinite life and then he says no like, I think there's a decent chance he gets dogpiled by Twitter and Twitch chat for that. So I'm not sure that he had any outs once the offer of let's pretend it's paper magic, like, gets extended. I, I think he's in a really rough spot from the very beginning there. I, I agree. And I think it's also an important factor of Magic Online, a Magic Online tournament specifically, that Magic Online, the client, just limits what specific strategies you can play because of the chess clock mm -hmm. uh, like for a, the longest time i wasn't very keen on playing thopter sword urza decks because they just took too long if your opponent made you combo out you had to click like you know 40 times to make a thopter and spin your deck and to find your one of that it's deterministic you will kill them mm -hmm. but it takes me 10 minutes to do and i can't do it twice a game right yeah so it mj bringing an infinite life combo which is similar where you you have to click a bunch to to gain a bunch of life it does run some risk of the clock being a factor I, honestly i think it I, I was shocked when i looked at the mox lists and saw that there were two players playing heliad company in this thing in this magic online tournament with a fifty thousand dollar first prize uh the deck just doesn't work under the magic online rules engine it just doesn't function properly especially because the amount of life you have to gain to never die to field of the dead is just not something you can possibly do like you can gain 300 life and then they get your stuff off the board 
and then they get Field of the Dead and they get 40 zombies into play, you're you're dead in a couple of turns. Yeah, and it's not like you can time your opponent out while you're performing your combo because there's no action that your opponent has to do. Uh, if the opponent just F6s or skips all their yields for the turn while you're gaining infinite life, they'll never get priority. They'll never lose a second off their clock. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, uh, a Char Belcher kind of thing on Magic Online where when you activate Char Belcher, the... The, it prompts the opponent to look at the cards, like verbatim, look at the cards. Yeah. And you have to like <laughs> click OK before it'll give your opponent priority back. Yes, I love, I love the message. Right, right, right. When it just comes up and says, look at the cards. And you're like, I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> there's no, there's only an option for OK. There's no option for no. Yeah. <laughs> Magic Online knows what it wants. Yeah. Um, and, and so one thing also to, to back up to and look at is like MJ is getting an advantage here. Certainly like the deal that, that Oliver agreed to is pretty much all upside for, for MJ and decisions may have been made before the tournament based on, you know, like there's probably people in the tournament who did not bring Heliod company or a similar deck because of the magic online rules engine. And so I think that it is pretty questionable and i i think you 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 simply should not and and you know oliver was in a rough spot and probably didn't think about it too much in the moment like he like he was just trying to do the right thing but you should not agree to play by rules that are not being enforced by the game engine in a digital client just like in paper you should not agree to play by rules that are not the rules of magic the gathering right i i I agree with that did you though this discussion of like the rules engine of Magic Online. Did you see Martin Hughes' tweet about Matt Nass's uh, match? No. Okay, I'll tell the story. So, <laughs> uh, m- m- as this was happening, like after MJ had released his Everything's Good statement, Martin Yuza shared a story uh, that happened to Matt Nass while he was testing for Pro Tour 25, uh, which was the team tournament that he played KCI in. So he's testing KCI online. And he has the KCI loop. But, you know, the KCI loop takes a bunch of clicks, and you have to do things in a very specific order for Magic Online. It's very tedious. Yes. So he asks his opponent, hey, I've, I've got the kill here. It's on the table. It's in my graveyard. You can see it. It's clear. I know how to do it. But will you concede for time consideration? Yeah. And the opponent says, I am Brazilian. I am a warrior. We never concede. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the perfect response yeah, it's so good let's see what else is there anything i think the also the other takeaway from this besides you know don't agree to different rules and i don't think either player was i, I think both players made mistakes if they were like perfect logic machines but in the moment i think you know oliver was trying to do the right thing and then i i do think you know, his attack at the end was a misevaluation, but I think a lot of it was time pressure. And he, I, I truly believe that he thought at that moment that it was the correct and fair thing for him to do to attack. I, I don't think he was trying to bait MJ into not gaining life and then kill him with zombies at some point later in the game. Like, that certainly wasn't happening. Uh, and I, th- I yeah i also don't think it was opportunistic right i don't think it was i agreed to this earlier but now i'm gonna win if i do this i'm gonna dissipate i don't think that was the case either. i i agree i don't think that was it either i think he really did believe 
okay, I have this game locked up and under the thing that we agreed to, I should be allowed to win this game. You don't have time when you have two minutes on your clock to negotiate and figure that out. So he's in a really tough and stressful position. And then after the fact, I, you know, we can talk about like what is the right thing to do with all of that. But, you know, MJ also probably was in the wrong for asking him in the first place to play by not the rules of, of Magic Online. Neither of them would have been in this position if Magic Online functioned. Uh, and could do loops. And I also think the discussion on Twitter about like, well, you know, we have to solve the halting problem in order to put loops into Magic Online. I think that is like such a, such a red hair. Like that's, it's a huge straw man response to, I would really like Magic Online to reflect paper magic rules. It doesn't even have to be like loop detection or whatever. It can just be a macro. Yes. Macros are so easy. Yes. They're so easy. Have have a modifiable, like just an interface that lets you set up a macro. And as long as like the conditions for starting the macro are exist after one loop, then you can execute that macro as many times as you want to do. And then it probably has to send a dialogue to the opponent that's like, okay, you're do you agree? Right. Your your opponent has proposed performing this macro. Well, this many times when do you want to interrupt or when do you want priority in there basically because that's how you have to do it in paper magic i think that's how it would work on magic online or this is the magic online solution to it this is how i would guess that they would actually do it is they'd program in the individual combos and allow the game to recognize like there's a heliod and a spike feeder in play which is real janky but would still be better than what we have yeah, and they'd have to like update it continuously, which seems optimistic. Yes. <laughs> Especially since, you know, some of the weirder combos can use a bunch of parts, like like KCI example we just used. Right. Uh there's a lot of different cards you can actually use to get to the same in state. Yeah. And I don't have faith that Magic Online if they do that like patchwork solution, I don't have faith that they'll be able to like do all that. Right. That would be a macro macros are really the only way to solve that yeah um but i i I think it's really unfair to respond to the desire for loops or macros with like but it's an unsolvable computer science problem like it's just not that's not what we're asking for so like it that i just want a way to click heliod and then okay and then me that's it that's all right we can do that like in particular the MJ's loop is an incredibly simple combo. Like, that one is doable. Like, come on. You click spike feeder a couple times and okay. You know, that's it. Right. That's all it is. Right. Like, because you can already same target with Heliod. Like, it's not impossible. What do I know? I'm not a computer scientist. Yeah, and neither am I. But I think that the the way that the people arguing against the possibility of this being fixed, like they're really coming at the problem sideways and reinterpreting what people who want this are saying in order to make it sound impossible. And I think it's just not, they're having a different discussion and a different argument from the one that, that we are having. The only reasonable defense against not having like macros in Magic Online, I think is that, Watsy deems it as 
too many resources to put onto the program and not enough return, which I think is probably why it's just not, it doesn't exist. Right. And then my main like problem with that is like, yeah, I get it now because arena's out and that like, that's the focus and stuff, but magic online has been out since 2001. Like this is the oldest piece of software in the world. And there was just never time to do it. There was never resources to do it in two decades. Like, come on. So he was the upgrading every versions every like four years. Yeah, but without but the... noticeably improving like a huge amount. <laughs> Anything getting better. <laughs> like some things get uglier. When I started playing Magic Online, you got to pick an avatar that sat at a table and that you chatted with all your buddies yeah. who were also around the table. They got rid of the table avatars. They permanently yeah. switched us to vertical chat. Like a lot of downgrades in these version updates. <laughs> Version 3 was just all spreadsheets. <laughs> That's all it was. You went to a lobby and it was just a bunch of spreadsheets that told you how much it cost to enter and when it started. God, yeah, it was. It's gone through a lot of different stages of hideousness in its life. Like a caterpillar that goes into an ugly cocoon and then just comes out as like a fatter caterpillar. It's the worst Pokemon ever. <laughs> this isn't what I expected at all. <laughs> It's the uh, the scene. I think it's from Arrested Development. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> Dead dove, do not eat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't have much more to talk about the mocks. That was all interesting. And I think that neither Oliver nor MJ deserve any hate for this. So please leave them alone. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think I would have made both MJ's initial proposal and also as oliver accepted it like i think i would have made both of those decisions yeah. so it's it's hard right right and and i think both players were wrong for making those decisions but only in a like sit down and philosophize way do you actually like realize it so if i'm playing a game i'm just like can we just play the game like for real mm -hmm. that's like usually where i'm gonna go to yeah yeah i don't really have anything else for today i i'm set i'm done cool yeah, you're tired. You had a long day. I should let you go. I am. You know, we can do a, a question if you really want to. There's like a, a couple of goofy ones. Ooh, goofy ones. See. Oh, congratulations to Wombo Combo for winning NZD MTG's first daily. For Legacy. Yeah, right? I think Honorog's doing some sort of like weekly or like or, or daily. I think this was this one was just an eight man, but I, I think he's trying to come up with some sort of like iterating weekly sort of tournament thing. So, congrats to Wombo Combo, one of our youngest players in residence. Resident Vintage Master. Yes. There's a Thanksgiving food tier list. You want to just go for that? Yes, I'm totally down. Do you have that. a lot to say about that? I, I won't go for forever, but I do have serious thoughts. All right, you, you start because my thoughts are just not going to be very good. <laughs> okay. Do we need to, like, should we have a consolidated list? Should we be doing the same ones, or should I just do the foods that I can think of? Just do the things, you, foods you can think of. Okay. Uh, well, turkey is at the absolute bottom. Uh, turkey is okay. not good. Even fried turkey no. is bad. Uh, well, fried turkey, I think, is worse. But yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, but it's everybody's like, I, when I when I go, I hate turkey. They go, well, but have you had a fried turkey? And I'll be like, yeah, I have, and it's <laughs> and it's the same. So I'm I'm just trying to cut that off. Cranberry sauce, I don't like. That that is pretty down at the bottom. I I think that one is extremely divisive. I, I think that's true. Some people love because it. I I hate cranberry sauce, 
and my brother Wiley loves it. It's like S plus tier for him. Sure. He'll just eat nothing but cranberry sauce if he's allowed to. Yeah. Mashed potatoes are okay. I'm like pretty okay with mashed potatoes. Stuffing is wonderful. That's probably like my S tier Thanksgiving thing. When, when when stuffing is made properly, it's really, really good. Green bean casserole. I have a weird thing with green beans where I just like can't eat them. I, I don't know what it is, but the fresher a green bean is, the more that I actually like retch when I eat it. it. Like they're just weirdly disgusting to me. Which means that green bean casseroles, like, sometimes I can eat because the green beans end up, like, often very overcooked <laughs> and unrecognizable. Yes. Yeah. See, that's why I, I don't like green bean casserole. Most casseroles, actually, I just don't like mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Uh, but I, I I think stuffing is the best thing you can get at Thanksgiving, personally. Uh, and then I will just eat, like, vegetables that aren't mashed potatoes. I hate mashed potatoes. Okay. <laughs> Mashed potatoes are only really good because butter is good, so... Right, that's the only thing it is. It's just butter and gravy, and it feels like I'm just eating mush yeah. on my butter and gravy, and I don't love butter and gravy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's a waste because, like, texture is an important part of the potato experience. Like, that's why potatoes are so good, and you've just removed yes. the texture. <laughs> yeah, I hate, I hate... I won't eat mashed potatoes in, like, any non-Thanksgiving arena either like it's just mm -hmm. I, I, that's why i don't eat peanut butter or jelly like i just don't like mush <laughs> all right go on uh i, I so you're just a stuffing and vegetables guy really i yeah i'm pretty much just stuffing and vegetables i'll eat a uh, ham actually yeah i was gonna bring that up as ham yeah. i i think ham is like pretty good. i i'm uh, team bring a ham to thanksgiving yeah exactly I think ham is the best Thanksgiving meat. Uh, smoked, honey. Like, there's a lot of good ways to prepare ham. Yeah, we often, in the past, we're certainly not doing it this year, but we often would pick up a honey-baked ham to go next to the turkey, and that would be the focus of my Thanksgiving meal, usually. Yeah, I... So, I went through a weird phase of Thanksgiving where, uh, as a kid, I just didn't like turkey at all. I thought it was, like, pretty bad. It's and then I grew up a little bit, and I ate some of it. I'm like, this is fine. And then I just stopped eating it because it just wasn't that good. <laughs> and that's kind of where I am with turkey. It's it's just, it's fine. Yeah. I, I only eat the dark meat because the white meat just gets dried out. Like, even if the turkey is properly cooked, like, like the white meat is just not very good. And it's it's not a thing that I look forward to, certainly. Thanksgiving desserts, though, which is a thing I'm going to miss out on this year. But uh, I have an aunt who is an excellent baker, and her desserts, her cheesecakes, and similar are phenomenal. And I'm bummed to be missing that this year. Or do you rate, where do you rate desserts in comparison to the main meal? Is it like what you're looking forward to more? Uh, it's like the only thing above desserts the only thing competing with the desserts is like the stuffing sure okay i i mean you know i don't eat sweets right. <laughs> like I, I just don't eat pie i don't eat cake I, I just don't care for dessert at all i don't eat cookies right you're like, a, I just you're a sweet tea and sweet tea alone kind of man yeah that's like the only sweet thing i eat like i i have 
uh, for something at work. I don't remember. My boss gave me like a ton of chocolate, like in a bag. Mm-hmm. And I still have most of it. Like, and that was months ago. <laughs> I just have eaten like four or whatever. Jeez. I'm actually kind of jealous. I I have a tremendous sweet tooth. I just really love sweet things. Like, I eat candy. I eat baked goods and stuff. And it's really at odds with my like self actualization because I generally I like to be pretty careful with I eat like I understand my nutrition and stuff. And I exercise every day and fitness is really important to me, but I just can't stop eating. Like I love ice cream and it's not, it's not just that like I physically can't, it's, it's just that like, I like it so much and I'm not going to like spend my whole life depriving myself of a thing that I like, especially like I love ice cream more than like anything else in the world, basically. Uh, And I'm not going to not have ice cream. Because what what a way to live your life that would be. You know what's weird? I, I don't remember the last time I ate ice cream. Like, like, <laughs> I just can't tell you. And I I do wish that I felt that way. That it just like wasn't really a thing that I enjoyed. Because I don't like the way that I feel after eating a bunch of sweets and stuff. And I try to avoid overindulging, certainly. But I wish that I didn't just have this, like... I got two Baby Ruth wrappers next to me. Like, I don't even fucking like Baby Ruths. <laughs> I know. I just, and it's not like I just don't like them. Like I, I, I can appreciate they taste fine, but I just don't want to eat them ever. Yeah, that's nice. I, I'm a little jealous. That's my tier list stuffing. <laughs> I, I think mashed potatoes are actually far below desserts. I hate mashed potatoes. Yeah, Thanksgiving is just not really. I just don't really look forward to the meal. Like the traditional foods at Thanksgiving are just like not summer holidays are where it's at hot dogs, hamburgers, potato salad. Like I'm down like 4th of July is the best food holiday. I mean, that's true. Yeah. Cause you, it also has the best weather of holidays. Right. And sometimes you'll Which just I... make steaks on the grill too. Fantastic. We did it. We broke it. Yeah, so, honestly, steaks or burgers, chips. That's like, good enough for most holidays right. <laughs> let's not be fancy with our pinkies up stuffing like come on get your casserole out of here yeah i mean so right that's the thing is like thanksgiving is very traditional and the tradition that we've carried forward is like foods from the 50s basically when we didn't really know how to cook and so that's why all the foods kind of suck yep Anyways, that's that's a great end to today's Magic the Gathering podcast. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, they don't all have to be magic questions. No. The patrons decide. Of course, we have no control <laughs> over this whatsoever. None. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We really appreciate your time and putting up with our nonsense. It is very cool of you to stick around for this long. Uh, if you'd like to lend us some support and submit Patreon questions of your own, whether they are magic or food-related or other, but honestly, like... What else do you need? Uh, yeah, those are the two things: magic and food. <laughs> my two main things most days, I would say. <laughs> if you want to submit a question, you can join our Patreon to give us some support. Head over to Patreon.com/MTGGrindcast and come hang out in the Discord, chat with us, come join our hangouts and that sort of thing. It's a really good time. If you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. 
I'm at Lee McLeod. That's it for us. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Bye.